August 1945, the Allied forces had uh, reached the culmination of what we now know as the Manhattan Project. The bombs, the atomic bombs that were created that would uh, end the Great Second War. Now, the reason that this was necessary was because the enemy... In this context, the government uh, and war faction of Japan uh, had a motto and had a commitment to never surrender. And so because of this, uh, there was a push and a move by the Allied forces to figure out how to end the war in the way that would cost the least amount of lives. The result was, on August 6th, an atom bomb goes off in Hiroshima, and then three days later, on August 9th, another bomb of the name of Fat Man explodes in Nagasaki. The result, ultimate surrender. The result from the power and awe of the Manhattan Project led to the absolute surrender in the end of the Second World War. You see, the connection between the atomic bombs that went off in Japan in 1945 and the connection to the reality of the power and the authority of God should lead us all to the same conclusion in our own lives, and that is absolute Surrender to the sovereignty of God. There's a text I want you to jot down, Revelations 11:15. Revelation 11:15. It is once we are aware of God's power and authority that we should be led to the only appropriate response to the power and majesty of the God of the universe, and that is surrender. Here's a look into the future of all of our eternities and all of our lives in Revelation 11:15, when it says this, that the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. There's a current reality that we live in, and it is what we call the kingdom of the world. We live in a world right now where the world is reigned and overpowered in a real sense by sin and by Satan. Now, the problem with that is when you are so clouded and we're so clouded in that judgment to forget that the sovereign God of the universe is still ultimately in control. When we forget that, we need to turn to Revelation 11.15, that we realize that this world we live in, although not extrinsically and explicitly and physically under the reign of God in a visible sense, we understand that there will become a time in history future when this world will be explicitly and physically under the reign of God in Christ. And that's why we read in Revelation eleven fifteen that that world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And here is his reign forever 
and ever. The whole context of this sermon, the whole context of your life is read and lived within the framework of the coming eternal reign of God in Christ. And so we ask, why do we believe and trust in the sovereignty of God? Because when we read Scripture, we see that there is a day coming that God will reign forever and ever. Primary. Secondary is we have enough evidence in Scripture, as we're going to turn to even this morning in the book of Jonah, there's enough evidence to not only suggest, not only just to postulate, but to show us and prove to us that God's sovereign control is even here in the midst of Satan's present reign and the reign of sin. God is still ultimately in control, and all things are under his will and under his Sovereignty. Remember what the word sovereignty meant from last week, right? That God reigns over, right? That's what the word sovereignty means. That God is utterly in control of everything. And that should grab your attention. Because it grabbed Jonah's attention. Because the reality was, it doesn't matter how far that Jonah ran, it didn't matter what Jonah decided to do, when God's will was Jonah to go to Nineveh, Jonah had one choice, going to Nineveh. And in the same way, so many of us, we, we, we live our lives and our culture based on choice, 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 choice. And here's the, here's the reality. Do you have freedom of choice? Sure you do. But even your freedom of choice is going to run out in one moment in history. And it's the time in history when the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Whatever free choice we do have, whatever free choice you believe you have, your free choice is going to end if you don't trust and believe that the God of the universe is going to be the Lord of the universe, and already is in all practical reality. Do you see what I'm saying here? Right? Like We can live every day as if God isn't the Lord of the universe, and you can will it all you want, but in the reality of it, God is, regardless if you choose for it to be or not. God is the Lord of the universe whether you want to admit that God is the Lord of the universe. Right? And God is sovereignly in control whether or not you want God to be sovereignly in control. Do you see what I'm saying here? So whatever free will we have in our daily choices ends when it comes to God's free will to will as he chooses. Did you just hear that? Right? When God chooses the will because he has free choice, right? our free will ends right there. Because we have a God of the universe who freely wills as he chooses. And he freely chooses and freely wills as he wants, and as is best for his creation, and as is best for his glory. Are we all on the same page there? I mean, that's so important if you're going to understand Jonah, because if you don't understand that fact, you're going to read Jonah, and you're going to be like, why does God do bad things? Why do these things happen? Why is Jonah in, in the, getting thrown overboard? Why is the, sh- the uh, ship going down into the sea? Right? Why did he get swallowed by a big fish? Why are all these bad things happening? Because God is sovereign and he wills that people would be in his will. Right? He wills that people would do what he wants them to do. And he's going to drive them and draw them and push them to that place. And whether it's right now in your life or it's at the eternal presence of the kingdom of God, everyone is going to be bowing at the knee of God. You've heard that verse, right? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Well, what if it's not my will to do it? What if it's not your will to bow at the knee of God and confess with your tongue that he is Lord? What happens? You're going to do it anyway. 
right? So you see what I'm saying? Like We base so much of, of our lives on autonomy and free will that you completely miss when the Bible is teaching you the graciousness of God and his power and sovereignty. And if you will learn to get out of, of your self-autonomy life that is all about your will, your will, your will, and you'll step out of that and you'll step into the gracious sovereignty of God's will, you're not going to want your will anymore because God's will is ultimately better than yours every single time. Right? And you're going to find yourself like Jonah in your own will, in your own will, and God's going to say, no child, you're getting back in my will, and it's going to hurt and it's going to be painful, and you're still going to get back exactly where God wants you to go because you're his child. And it's time that we as a church live with that. I love that my gracious, holy, perfect God doesn't allow me to flee to Tarshish every day. And when I'm fleeing to Tarshish, he grabs me and he puts me right back in Nineveh where I need to go. And you shouldn't be angry about a God who does that. That kind of God reflects the God of the Bible, the one that we know. And that kind of God is one you can trust. I trust no God who would let me go do what I want to do when he tells me that my way is wicked and my heart is wicked and I can't trust it. So I trust in God's will. And Jonah is just one example. I'm a second example. You're the third example of God's sovereign control over the universe. And that should get our attention. I want you to look at Jonah Starting at verse 1, chapter 1, verse 4, as a matter of fact. I want you to see in verse 4, it says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Let's recount last week. Who brought the storm? Who brought it? God brought it. Okay? Already, God's sovereignty. God brings storms. All right? We're released there. God brings storms. But I want you to notice something in this picture because we talk about Jonah, 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 and you miss something if, if you're not paying attention that Jonah was not the only soul on board of that ship. Right, so there's something at play in God's sovereignty on this ship that is including Jonah but does not include Jonah. Right? You, you, I want you to notice something here right? because you're about the individual because you always want to go to Jonah, but you're, but you're not about the, the collective. Right? We're not about the reality that even in your life, in your sin, Right? In, in God leading you back to his own will, he's also influencing and leading other people at the exact same time. Right? There's nothing more sovereign than a God who can use your sin for the good of others and for his glory. And you see that playing itself out right here. Look at verse 5. Right? We see pagans. Right? We see pagans on the ship with Jonah. What's a pagan? Right? Pagan is just a general term for someone who doesn't trust in God. He's not a covenant. They are not a covenant people of God, right? It's the same general term that when I say you're a Gentile, right? If you're not Jewish in here, right? The, the term, the general term for you is called a Gentile. Well, the general term for people who aren't the covenant people of God, especially in the Old Testament, they were called pagans, okay? And so what I want you to look at here, even in God's ultimate sovereignty over the life of Jonah, I want you to see the ultimate sovereignty over God in the lives of even people who don't even acknowledge him as Lord. Look, look at verse 5. It says, And the mariners were afraid, and each one cried out to his God. I want to show you three things that pagans do. Right? And, and I want you to, to know something about my desire and my heart for pagans. Right? My desire and my heart for lost people. And it's my, it's, it's my heart because it was God's heart first. Right? I want to reflect the heart of God for people who don't know him. And the first thing you need to understand is people who don't know God respond the only way they know how. 
Did we talk about that a little bit last week, right? When a sinner sins, they're only doing the only thing they know. And when, when, when something is happening, even when God's sovereign hand is over their life, they don't know a God. They don't know a sovereign God. Right? They don't know what a sovereign God would do. They don't understand the will of a sovereign God. And so they respond the only way they know how until they know another way. Until they know another way. Here's three things they're going to do before they know another way. Right? Pagans are going to cry out in times of calamity to the gods of their imaginations. Right? I mean, that's what it says in verse 5, isn't it? Right? They each cried out to, to his God, his God, little g God. Isn't that what it says in your text? Right? The men were afraid, and they cried out to their God. I have a friend in college. He is from India. He, he came over to, uh, to go to school, and uh, I was in a program, an international program, where I would partner up with, uh, with somebody from an international perspective, and they would come over here, and I would help them assimilate into college life and uh, get them used to living here in this culture. Uh, he's done so good. As a matter of fact, he was on a billboard in downtown Manhattan just uh, like a couple weeks, so he's assimilated real fine. Uh, but he's not a Christian, and uh, there was a, a night that he got a hold of me because his mother was dying. Um, and, and it broke my heart because what he asked me to do, he says, would you pray to your God so that your God would save my mom? And he's like, I'm going to pray to my gods and you pray to your gods and, and, and maybe, maybe one of them would save my mom. And it broke in my heart because what was he doing? He was in his time of calamity. He was crying out to his God because he didn't know another way. And all I'm saying is your heart should break for that when you see people doing things that are ungodly, when you see people trying to respond to a God in a way that is inappropriate to the Lord God, it should break your heart. Pagans do this too. They, they try to fix problems on their own. And I should put a caveat there. That's why it's a problem when you as a Christian try to fix problems on your own because that's what pagans do. Right? Pagans try to fix problems on their own. Christians understand that God is sovereign over everything, and there's a way in which you as a Christian should approach your problems, and it sure isn't trying to fix them by yourself. But the point here is pagans do that. The rest of verse 5, look at the rest of verse 5. It says, they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Okay, you understand how useless that was, correct? I mean, you look at me, the sovereign hand of God is on that ocean, on that sea, and you know, you and me, right, God-fearing believers, right, are saying, that wasn't going to help, right? But they thought it was going to help. They threw their food and their rations and all their cargo over. The very reason they were on the sea, they threw it off, because they thought in some way in their mind that that was going to fix the problem. That was going to limit the catastrophe at hand. But people who fear God, we understand that that's not going to work. But that's what non-Christians do. They try to fix problems without understanding the God of the universe. That's second. Thirdly, pagans use whatever source they can find to find truth. Right? That's something that you and I, we, we deal with every day of our lives. It's the reason a lot of you in here, are, you don't like the school systems. You don't like social media. Parents in here. Right? You watch the news and you question everything you hear because people are going to go to their truth and they're going to try to figure out their truth in the framework of how they understand the world. And that's exactly what these people did right here. Look at verse 7. They said, there's a problem, there, there's, a, there's a storm, our ship is breaking apart, and here's what they said. They came together and they said, come, let us cast lots 
that we may know on whose account this evil has come. So they cast at lots. Right? I'm not going to get into a whole lot casting conversation with you, uh, but suffice it to say this way, it's glorified dice rolling. Right? I mean, it's them, it's them saying, let me figure out on, in my own way how I can figure this out one way or the other. Right? I mean, they're using whatever they have at their disposal to come up with, why is this happening to me? Now, pause, because you're already in your mind saying, well, that's, you shouldn't do that. Well, that's sinful. You shouldn't do that. Well, well, look what happens. What happens right after that? And the lot fell on Jonah. It worked. It worked. Why? Because we have a God who's sovereign enough over those lots to make them do exactly what he wants them to do. You see what I'm saying here? What I'm saying is when we even look at, look at the word of God and we see people out there who are, who are lost and dying, we don't believe that we serve a God sovereign enough to reach those people. Right? I mean, all the time in evangelism, it's happened throughout centuries, you know, people say, well, what about those lost people? What about those people in tribes in Africa and, 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 and places in Northeast Asia? And number one, you don't even realize church history suggests that parts of Asia had Christianity before it ever came over to America. Right, number one, God's sovereignty. Right? God knows those people before you ever even thought of these people. Right? And God's going to make a way for his will to be known across the world. Okay? Primarily. That's what you need to know. They're going to use whatever source to find the truth. But even when they do, God is sovereign enough to get them to see the real truth. Right? I'm not telling you they can go pick up whatever Bible they want to or go to the Quran or the, or the Torah. They can go wherever they want to find truth. But what I'm telling you is if you don't believe that there's a God sovereign enough to solve those problems, you don't believe in the God of the Bible. Because you see right here that we have a God who used what they had at their disposal to shed light on his revelation and God's truth. Now, here's, here's where it gets into you and I's reality, right? Those are things that non-Christians do. But there's something that God's people do that make this important and pivotal, right? We understand that this, those things are what non-Christians do. These things are what pagans do. But here's what God's people do, right? God's people use their identity to explain what's going on in the world, right? Look at this. Look at verse 9. It's, it says it explicitly. Let me read verse 8 first. They ask him, can you tell us why this evil has come up upon us? Tell us right now. And they ask him questions. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? And here's what Jonah says. Sheds the light on the whole situation. He says, I am a Hebrew. That's quote unquote in ancient times for I'm a covenant person of God. That's equivalent to you saying, I'm a Christian. All right? That's them saying, I am a covenant person of God and I fear not a God, I feel the I fear the Lord. In your Bible, when you're looking at that, is it a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D? Okay, that's God's personal name that we see in the Old Testament, and it's Yahweh, right? That's God's personal name for Israel. That's what they call him. Other people say little G, little O, little D. We serve big G God, Yahweh. He's our personal God. He's not just one of many. He is the transcendent but eminent God of the universe. And this is... you need to understand that's exactly what Jonah is telling them in very few words. I am a believer. I fear the God of the universe, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. All right, did you see what just happened there? If you know Jonah, they're in sea and where are they trying to get to? Dry land. What Jonah says is, I fear the Lord. I am a believer. And 
this sea God is sovereign over and that place you're trying to row to to get out of God's sovereignty in the sea, his sovereignty is there as well. Right? That's the message that Jonah is preaching to these mariners, these pagans. And you just put it this way in point number one on your outline. If that's reality, and it is for us as Christians, you need to raise awareness for God's sovereignty. Raise awareness for God's sovereignty. Isn't that what our society wants us to do with everything these days? Raise awareness. You know, climate change, what is the best thing we can do? Raise awareness. Right? And we have entire companies who have an entire paid staff of people who just go out and raise awareness. Right? You see ads, they don't lead us to anything, but just, just let people know more. Right? We find it funny, but there's some truth to the matter of raising awareness. Because that's, that's all Jonah did right here, do you realize? I mean, there was a problem happening, and Jonah just rose awareness to the reality of the situation that they found themselves in on the sea in a boat that was about to sink. In World War II, uh, there were leaflets uh, that the Allied forces would fly over certain cities that they were going to bomb, and they would drop these leaflets, okay? And these leaflets would hit the ground, and they were for the civilians, for the citizens, and they would pick them up, and in their own language, uh, it told them, uh, this place is going to be bombed in three days. We want you to get out. We want your family to be safe. We're not here to harm you, but we're here for a mission, and we're going to accomplish the mission. And we don't only want you to get out. We want you to go to your rulers. We want you to go to the emperor. We want you to go, and we want you to get them to stop this crazy war, right? these leaflets. The ones that were dropped in Nagasaki and Hiroshima were called the LeMay leaflets, and they wrote out exactly what the Allied forces wanted Japan to do. Here are the things we want you to stop doing. Here's the things we want you to start doing. Uh, and here's what's going to happen in three days to make sure that happens. Right? And the goal for that was to warn the people that doom and imminent destruction was coming and that there was a way out. You and I have a leaflet right here. Okay. And this leaflet is the most distributed leaflet in the history of the world. This is not only the, the best-selling book in the history of the world, this book is the best-selling book every single year in our world. Did you realize that? It's not just because it's old that it's sold more. Every single year, this is the number one bestseller on the planet. And it's a leaflet, and it's telling us the same thing. Here's the God of the universe. Here's who he is. Here's what he asks us to do. And first and foremost, he asks us to understand who he is. And then when we understand who he is, respond appropriately. And for you and I to respond appropriately to a holy, just God like that is to take up his offer of forgiveness. And that is that I would turn away from my sin and that I would trust in him. That's it. We have the same command and the same call. And it's not only just for you and me, but it's for all the pagans in the world. Right? It's for all the people lost at sea with the mighty hand of God over them. We're given instructions ourselves from our own commanding officer exactly what we're supposed to do with this leaflet. Uh, jot down Romans 10 in your outline. Drop down Romans 10, starting in verse 13. Here's the leaflet, right? Here's the theme of the leaflet that we have. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I mean, there's your leaflet, right? There it is. It's dropped on the whole world, right? Here's the reality of what you and I have. The God of the universe says, if anyone would call on my name, if they would turn from their sins, if they would trust in me, if they would come after me, 
they will be saved. Here's the problem. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Did you hear that? Right? I mean, there's the truth of God that if you would call out to the name of the Lord, you will be saved. But there is a requisite for that salvation, and that is this, the preached word. You're like, well, what do you mean the preached word? Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. How does someone come to faith? What does it say right there in verse 17? Somebody. Hearing. Hearing. Faith comes from hearing. How do they hear? Because the word was preached. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. Okay, and if you think that I just pulled that out of a hat, what just happened to the mariners? What just happened to these pagans on the ship? They had no idea what was going on. They were trying to fix every problem on themselves, and they stopped, and when they realized the truth, that I'm a believer, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. They understood. They understood now who was in charge, who was in control, and who was calling the shots. And it led them to the opportunity to respond appropriately. You and I have the same opportunity with every soul that we pass every single day of our lives to let them know the reason the world is the way it is. Sure, there's evil. right? Sure, there are bad things happening. But if you believe in Scripture, that all things work out for the good of those who love God and, and called, don't forget that last part, right? And called according to His purposes. Right, that's so important, right? Because you know, you're called according to his purposes. It isn't for you know, all things work out for the good of those who do whatever they want and just think everything's gonna be fine at the end of the day. Right? I mean, that's what Jonah believed, wasn't it? And then what happened to Jonah? He believed that, went off to Tarshish, and he learned, oh, that's not what that verse says. That verse says, For all those who love me and are called according to my purpose. God had a sovereign, just gracious plan for Jonah to put him right back in the will that he needed to be in. But why do we know that? Because we're aware of God's sovereignty. And people who aren't aware of God's sovereignty don't know that to be true. And that's why you and I are here to say, although the the nations rage, isn't this a psalm, right? Although the nations rage and the seas totter, I will trust in the Lord. I will trust in the Lord. Right? There is a river that leads into the kingdom of God and it's peace. That's the sovereignty of God. That in the midst of chaos, there is peace in the presence of God. But you got to know God. you got to know. And it comes from hearing. Faith comes from hearing. Salvation comes from hearing the word of God and when people respond to it. The bottom line is when we're aware of God's sovereignty, it should lead us to two things. Right? It should lead us to two things, and we'll see it in the text. It should lead you to fear the right thing and ask the right questions. Right? It should lead you, when you understand the sovereignty, the authority, the power of God, it should lead you to fear the right thing and ask the right questions. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 in Jonah 1. It says, then the men were exceedingly afraid. They were just afraid earlier, right? They were afraid earlier because bad things were happening, right? They didn't understand why things were going on. They just understood that bad things were happening, and I'm afraid. But once Jonah 
shed some light on the sovereignty of God? Once Jonah rose awareness for who God was, what, what happened? What does verse 10 say? They were exceedingly afraid. Right? I mean, they were, they were afraid here because they didn't know what was going on. Now the fear rose because now they knew exactly what was going on. But that is the right response. Is that not the right response to understanding and knowing God? What does Proverbs 9.10 say? Proverbs 9.10. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. You have to understand that we live in a world that says if you fear anything, it's bad. Right? Fear is a bad emotion, bar none. Period. But the Bible has something completely different to say. The, the Bible teaches us, God's Word tells us, that fearing things is wrong, fearing God is appropriate. Right? Because we read in the Bible, what, 365 times people say, do not fear. But we hear over and over and over and over again to fear the Lord. Right? Isn't that what Jesus says? Right? Don't fear people who can kill you and then do nothing else. Fear the one who has the power to Take your life and then throw you into hell, right? I mean, the idea is that we don't fear the wrong things. I'm not going to fear the storm. I'm not going to fear the ship. I'm not going to fear the sea. But I'm going to fear the God who is sovereign over the ship, over the storm, and over the sea. I'm going to fear the Lord because that is the beginning of wisdom. And it leads us to the right Thing to fear the right thing. But it also leads us to the right question. Look at verse 11. Verse 11. It says, They said to Jonah, because they understood, right, in verse 10, the men knew that Jonah was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And they were fearing God for that. And verse 11 says, They said to Jonah, What shall we do? Fearing the right thing, asking the right question. Right? The only right question to ask when you are face-to-face -face with the sovereign God of the universe is that question right there. What do I do now? What shall I do next? It's the perfect question to ask when you're in the face of God. Because they, they know what to do. Because Jonah told them what to do, right? I mean, the next, the next thing is go back, see page one, right? When, when you've seen those contracts, see page one. It tells you exactly the reason we're in this situation. Jonah 1, verse 1 and 2. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. You realize you, you can't lose sight of the whole reason this book exists, right? And, and you will do that if you get so caught up in the, in, in the storm, if you will. you got to understand that there was a plan here. God had a sovereign plan, and he was calling Jonah to it regardless of what happened, right? He was relentless in his pursuit for Jonah to fulfill his plan in Nineveh. And I put it this way on your outline, point number two. You need to comprehend God's sovereign plan, Comprehend God's sovereign plan. And you can do this, right? You can do that. So many people say, what is God's will? I don't know God's will. It's because you want God's specific will in every single moment of your life when so many of us don't even trust God's ultimate will or even a sovereign will for the universe. We're more interested in what God has for me than what God has for thee, right? Like, I'm more interested in what God's doing in my life than I am interested in what God's doing for his glory in the world, 
and you don't realize that God's will for you is every bit caught up in what he's doing in the world. God's will for you is so much about his glory and his will and a lot less about your will. And that's why so many people live their whole lives and they never find themselves like they feel like they're in the middle of God's will because you've been running in the middle of your will your whole life. And the middle of your will is almost never the middle of God's will. Oftentimes, the middle of God's will is so far from your will, it ain't funny. Right? Because the middle of Jonah's will was go to Joppa, jump on a ship, go to Tarshish. The middle of God's will was travel across the land and go to Nineveh. And so that's why we have to say, not my will, just like Jesus said, right? Not my will, but your will. That's why asking the right questions is so important. That's why the mariners ask, what shall we do? That's the right question. What shall we do? Go to God. God, what shall we do? You know, they're not the only people who have ever asked that question in Scripture. There's another group of people who asked that same question in Acts chapter 2. You want to flip to Acts chapter 2? Acts chapter 2. I'll flip there with you. Acts chapter 2. Are you there? Okay. Verse 37. Now, Peter is preaching the gospel. That's, that's, a, that's what we're hearing. That's the account. Uh, Peter's preaching the gospel. He's saying, he's in Jerusalem. He's saying, you guys are the, the reason that this happened. Christ came and you put him to death, but it wasn't just your plan. It was God's sovereign plan that brought him to die because he came and died so that you may live. You, he came to forgive you of your sins and you killed him. And this is what they had to say. Look at verse... 37. Now, when they heard this, when they heard Peter preaching the gospel, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? You hear that? What shall we do? Because it's the only proper response to anyone who is in the presence of a perfect God. And we want to get into God's will. We have to ask the question, What shall we do? And here's what Peter said, because Peter knows the will of God, right? just like Jonah knew the will of God. Do you hear me? Jonah knew the will of God, and so he just recapitulated, here's what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be in Nineveh. I'm here. God doesn't want me here. He wants me there, so i got to go there. So the mariners knew exactly what to do. Get Jonah out of here. Get him on the road to God's will. Okay. The same thing happens here. They don't know what to do. They're in sin. In Acts 2, they've murdered the God of the universe, and they're like, what shall we do? And Peter, because he knows God's will, because he reads God's word and he was with Christ, he says this, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That sounds like somebody who knew the will of God, doesn't it? I mean, he literally said, here's what you do next. And that is why I'm so confident to suggest that when you say you don't know the will of God, all I'm saying is you don't know the word of God. Because the word of God tells you the will of God, and it's super plain, right? And God's will for everyone is that they wouldn't perish, but all come to eternal life, because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, and you would just repent and turn from Christ. It uses the word baptize, but you remember what the word baptize means from our baptism servant, right? Baptizo, to be placed into, right? It means if you would turn from your sins and be placed into Christ, baptizo, to be plunged, to be placed into, to be dipped, if you would turn from your sins and you would trust in Christ, 
And that is outwardly displayed through getting dunked in the water. And so we're not saying Peter is saying that you need to go dunk underwater to be saved. He's saying that you being dunked in the water is the example of you placing your life into Christ. Just like your whole life is placed under that water, your whole life is placed into Christ. That's what the word baptizo means. And so what we're seeing here is God's will is so plain. Repent and place your trust in Christ, every one of you. And you will have the forgiveness of sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't get any more clear than that. Right? And it's people who can comprehend that and know God's sovereign plan. When they ask the question, what shall we do next? The will of God is made clear. And so now they know what to do next. So anyone in here who does not know Christ, you know what to do next. Because right? we ask the question, what shall we do? Well, here's what we do. We turn from our sins. We trust in Christ. What shall we do? That's what we shall do. That's what Jesus says in Mark 1.15. For the time is fulfilled. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. It's very clear. The will of God is very clear. And it's our job to comprehend it so we can make people aware of it and that we ourselves can be aware of it and respond appropriately to it. You see, the logical progression of awareness of God's sovereignty and the comprehension of God's power and authority is this word that you and I don't like. It's a word that we try to scrub from society, and it's the word submission. It's the word obedience. We don't like those words. But those are, those are the kind, gracious words of the will of God that if anyone would submit themselves under the mighty hand of God, he will be there with them. He will protect them. He will care for them, and he will comfort them. Hey, we're going we're to read that on the back of your paper. You have a, you have a verse there that's going to take you exactly to that exact text. This says, submit yourself under the mighty hand of God, and at the proper time, he will exalt you. Right? So you have to understand that submitting yourself to God isn't just a killjoy, that you don't get to do anything you want. God is using your life for a purpose, but the first thing you have to do is submit yourself to God. You want to be used by God? You want to be useful for God? You have to submit to God. God is not going to do anything through you that he has not done in you. Right? I mean, there's just a plain fact of the will of God. If he ain't done it in you, he's not doing it through you. He's going to work in you before he works through you. That didn't cost anything extra. It wasn't in my notes. That was free. <laughs> Submission. I want you to see this. It's the only proper response, you, you realize, submission. Just like when the atomic bombs went off in Nagasaki and Hiroshima, there was no question on what happens after that, right? I mean, you, you realize that. When those bombs went off in Japan, no one on the planet questioned, well, what's next? They knew what was next, right? Complete, total submission. I mean, you had a, you had a, Jap, a Japanese militant government who never wanted to give up, who wanted to do their own thing. The whole way, the time the two bombs went off, there was no question even among them what we do next. They went and they gave ultimate surrender. The one thing they never wanted to do, they did it for one reason, the power and the awe of what they saw. And it's the same thing that leads you and I to submission to a holy, perfect God because we see it and we know it. We see it in creation we see it in all the things that he has done. We see it in his divine power, and we see it here in his word. And you're going to see it in verse 12. Look at verse 12. Right, Jonah, this is what he said. 
here's what you need to do, guys. You need to pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Do you think, anybody think Jonah wanted to go into the sea? Anybody? No? Okay, Jonah didn't want to go, right? I mean, Jonah didn't want to go in the sea, but it was God's will, right? I mean, you see God's sovereign will in this? Like, like just because Jonah didn't want to do it doesn't mean that God wasn't going to do it anyway. That, that's a message to everybody in this room. Just because you don't want to do something doesn't mean that God's not going to do it in your life anyway. Right? And that's a good thing. Just like your parents. Like, how many of you had parents who made you do things you didn't want to do? Anyone? Just me? Am I the only one that had a loving parent in here? <laughs> Students? Right? That's what parents do because they want what's best for you and they know what's at stake. And we have a God who knows what's at stake from beginning to end and all we know is what's at stake right here in the minute. We don't even know what we're having for dinner tonight. And the God of the universe had planned that before you were ever even around. You see this. This is the God we're talking about. He said, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. I don't want to go, but that's what God wants me to do, and I'm going to do it. And he says, and as a matter of fact, the sea is going to quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Understatement of the century, right? Nevertheless, and this, <laughs> this people still foolish in their minds, right? Nevertheless, me too, uh, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. Of course they couldn't, right? I mean, they tried hard to disobey God, and they still couldn't, because here's what happened. The sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. God is going to do what God is going to do. Can, can we at least agree with that? Right? And, and if your idea of God is an angry, angry old man, you, you don't, you, of course you're going to look at that and you're going to say, I, I, I can't trust a God like that. Well, you don't know the God of the Bible. That's a little G God that you've created in your mind. Because my sovereign God is holy, perfect, just, and loving. Okay, but there's something that he's going to do, and that is his will. And I want to show you, that's not the only place that we see in Scripture where he directly says, you push against me, I'm going to make it more tempestuous. You saw that, right? You fight against me, I'm going to make it worse. There's another place we see in Scripture very clearly that God does the same thing, and it's in Acts 26. Jot down Acts 26. Acts 26, verse 14. I'm reminded of when Jesus meets Paul at his conversion, and that's what Acts 26 is. It's a recount uh, of Paul's conversion. And when Paul was converted, he's telling his story uh, to a group of people who were questioning him. And he says, this is what happened. I was on my way to imprison more Christians. I just left holding, uh, holding the clothes of a man a Christian man who just got stoned and murdered, and now I'm leaving, I got permission, I'm going and I'm going to grab more Christians, I'm going to persecute more Christians. This is what Paul was doing at the time. And as Paul is on the road to Damascus, as his mission is completely against God, as far away from God as Jonah is in chapter 1, and God comes to Paul, Jesus, the Son, God, the Son, meets Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul collapses. He's blinded by the light. And Jesus says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And he says, he literally says this right here. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Do you know what that means? Farmers in here know what that means? Okay, Kicking against the goads, a goad was a very long staff with a point at the end. 
right? Very sharp point. And what it would be used for is when ox would go and they would, they would be tilling the fields, when they would be working and, and the, their owner would be behind them, anytime the ox would go off, eat grass over here or disobey and go over there, the owner would, would prod them with a goad, goading them, right? You've heard that term, right? They were goading him. Now, here's the problem. Sometimes oxes were very stubborn, kind of like me, right? Very stubborn. And when they, when they would prod them, you know what those ox would do. They would kick at the goad. Do you know what happens when you kick at a very pointy object? What happens? You get jabbed, right? You get jabbed. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying to Paul. I mean, think about this. Your will versus God's will. Paul, your will was to persecute Christians. Your will was to go do your own thing, but it's hard for you to kick against the goads because I get my man. I get my woman. Jesus says, if I'm coming after you, I'm getting you. Isn't that the kind of God you want to serve? Right? Do you want to serve the kind of God that you can overpower? No. No, I want the kind of God who's going to drag me back to my house and tell me exactly what he wants me to do. That's the kind of all-powerful God we serve. And that's the same God that we're talking about. Jesus said, it's hard for you to kick against the goads because when I want you, I'm getting you. And you can kick against the goads all you want, Paul, but you're mine. It's the same thing that God is saying to Jonah. You can fight, you can fight, you can fight, and the sea's going to get worse and worse and worse, and you're going to kick and you're going to kick and you're going to kick, and I'm going to win. Isn't that the kind of God that we serve? Here's what happens. Once they realize that God wasn't going to give up, I, I love this in verse 14. Look at verse 14. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, and, and I love this, right? Lord, oh Lord, let us not perish. Did you notice a vocabulary change in the lives of these pagan non-Christians? In verse 5, they were calling out to their little g God. After they had become made aware of the God of the universe, and as they were made aware of the plan of God to send Jonah to Nineveh, listen to how their language changes. It says right there, O Yahweh. They're, they're literally calling God by his real name because they know him now. Do you see that? Do you see the beauty in that? The grace and the mercy in this? These, these people were out at sea thinking they were just going to have another day out at sea, and God just ruins their entire day and says, here I am. The Lord of the universe, Yahweh, nice to meet you. I love that. That is so beautiful. That's so God to introduce himself. And then these people who had no idea about God are now calling him by his name. Oh, Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us his innocent blood. I love this. One of my favorite parts of Jonah. For you, oh, Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. Can we stop for a second? I got eight minutes left. Okay, you have done as it pleased you. You know what is so interesting? When we, come up, when we talk about the will of God versus the will of man, do you know who has the hardest time with the will of God and God's sovereign purpose over creation? Christians. Do you know often who has the least problem with God's utter control over everything? New Christians. Right? Because what a new Christian is going to do, what these pagans are doing, they're saying, I saw it. He took over my life. I couldn't get away from it. He just did what he was going to do, and I'm just here following it. I mean, that's literally what they said, wasn't it? Oh, Lord, oh, Yahweh, you just done as it pleased you. You just did your will. Right? It's Christians who've been going to church, or at least professing Christians, right? people who say they are, who've been going to church their whole lives, who say, well, you know, it's, it's you know, God's will here, but I just, like, I just don't believe that he can just really tell me what to do, or really, you know, if I don't want to do it, I just don't have to do it. It's like, you go tell Jonah that. Go tell the mariners that. Go tell Paul that. 
Come tell Hayden that, right? I mean, if you've ever been pursued by the holy God of the universe, it never, it'll never cross your mind that you got to do it. Because if you've been pursued by the God of the universe, you're going to say the same thing that the mariners said. Oh, Yahweh, you have just done as it pleased you. you. You had your will, and you got your will. And I submit myself to that will. And here's what they did. They, submit, they, did. they submitted themselves. Right? They threw him over in the sea calm. Verse 15. It says, so they picked him up because they knew they had to do God's will. They didn't want to. They didn't want to kill him. They didn't want to send him to his impending death. But they picked him up and they hurled him into the sea. And just as God had promised, the sea ceased from its raging. And I love this. Look at verse 16. And then the men rightly responded. Right? This is people who rightly respond to the will of God. This is what you do. And this is like textbook. This is exactly what happens when you understand who God is and you respond to him rightly. The men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Any accurate understanding of God is going to lead you to worship. Do you hear me? Any accurate understanding of God is going to lead you to worship. Okay, I don't just mean singing a song, which we could start there, because most of us get in here and we come in around the second song. You know, the first song's a warm-up. Make sure the band can sing, right? Make sure you get your coffee. Make sure you have your kids are all checked in. You come in here, second and third song, you know, just right when you can. And all I'm saying is when we really know who God is, like, I'm not missing a minute. I'm not missing a minute of the corporate worship of God's people. But I'm not just talking about songs here. I'm talking about your life. I mean, these, these uh, sailors, these mariners weren't picking up a guitar and singing worship songs. They were worshiping God through their lives, and all I'm saying is when you really understand who God is, you're just going to worship him. Where? Everywhere. How? Every way. Right? Every single thing that happens in your life, you're going to worship when you understand who God is. And then just to let you know that we're not done yet, and God's not done yet, look at verse 17. Right? You, think that, you think the scene is over, but it's just a to-be-continued these mariners, for the first time in their life, they're responding to God, they're understanding God, they comprehended God's plan, and they listened to him. And yet, God's still working on Jonah. Look at verse 17. And the Lord appointed. Who appointed it? The Lord. Right? The Lord did. I want you to notice the whole book of Jonah is about God's sovereignty. The Lord appointed it. The Lord brought this great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Anybody ever spend any time in the belly of a fish? Right, do you think that's going to be a fun experience? I know you learn about it in school and Sunday school and preschool, uh, but whatever they showed you, wrong. You know how disgusting it would be to be in the belly of a giant fish? Anybody ever gutted a fish before? Okay, imagine that times 100 and you're living in it for three days, okay? All right, do you think Jonah wanted to be there? But God's will put him there. And here's the beauty of that large fish. It was disgusting. It was nasty. It was God's will and God's will for deliverance in Jonah's life. Right? So many times God uses things that you don't like to deliver you from where you are. And that's, just, I'm, and I'm not even, that, that's literally what the scripture is teaching. You may not like it. Jonah didn't like it, but it beats him sitting out in the ocean for the next thousand years. Right? He was being saved, redeemed by God being delivered by God in the belly of a fish. And all I'm saying is because God appoints all of these things, it's good for us to do this. And it's point number three, 
to submit to God's sovereign will. You and I, we must agree, starting right now, that we just submit to God's sovereign will. Remember, because we've got to go back to the beginning of the sermon. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Right? There's a time in, in history future where he's going to come physically, explicitly reign. And there will be no bad. It will be all good. All the, all the good things you want to solve have already been solved in Christ. Right? All the bad things are going to be made good. Everything. And all I'm saying is we need to start now as we're preparing for the then to submit to God's sovereign will even right now because we're aware. We know it's coming. We know it's on its way. We know in so many ways it's already here. That's why theologians call it the already but not yet, right? Because we're already in the reign of Christ because he's reigning over our lives. He's reigning over the church, right? That's why church is so important, not because we have a building, because God is already introducing his reign through his people. Is he reigning over your life? He better be if you're a Christian. That's the only way you can be a Christian, There is no separation between God's reign and God's salvation in your life. It's both or it's none. God reigns over your life. His his reign is already here, and there's going to become a time where it's going to be everywhere. So we got to realize that God's sovereign will is already here, and we got to understand, like it says in Hebrews 4.13, Hebrews 4.13, no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Did you hear that? All creatures are right in the sight of God. No creature is hidden from his sight. We're all naked and exposed to him, and we must all give an account. We're all accountable to the sovereign God of the universe. And either our account is going to be charged to Christ's account, or there's going to come a time where we're going to have to settle our account with the holy God with no one to settle it for us. And that's the truth of the sovereignty of God. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. The beauty of the church and the beauty of Christians, people who've turned from their sins and trusted in Christ, is our account is paid in full, our account is reconciled. And our job is to go raise awareness for everyone else to say your debt can be paid for. You can be forgiven, but you need to know who he is You need to understand his plan, and you need to submit to his plan. That is literally just the gospel in three simple points. But it's not just the gospel, it's the whole Bible. We can know God's will, and we can know God's will because he has made his will known to us. And his will is ultimately for your good and his glory. Let's pray. God, what we pray for in this very moment God, even specifically, I just pray that for those who in here who don't know you, who, who have heard that sermon and heard that text and it just rocked their world. And I just pray, God, that they would come to an understanding and an awareness of who you are. And you're so perfect. You're just. Your ways are unscrutable. They're unsearchable. But yet in all of those things, in your transcendence, in, you extend above time and space, but yet you've broken into time and space to solve the problem that we have in Christ. And I just pray, God, for those who don't know you, that they would turn from their sins, right? Turn from the very things that we've been reading about in Jonah, fleeing from God. God, I pray that as your spirit would draw them, they would respond to you appropriately. They would, in awe, in worship, they would turn from their sin, they would trust in you. 
God, I just pray for, for the rest of us in this room, God, that, that we would see uh, the need and we would have the zeal in our lives to go and preach the gospel, to take this leaflet that we call the Bible and go raise awareness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know it's so easy to get out of here and get into the patterns of life and the redundancy of, of the day-to-day But God, let us not forget the faithfulness in which we should approach even the day of small beginnings. God, help us take serious this role. Help us take serious the masses who are perishing without your word, knowing that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how are they going to hear if we don't tell them? Because faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the word of God. God, help us, God. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.